two. Well, we are excited to be with you again for episode three of Up for Discussion. Yeah. And we have a little bit of a heavy topic today that we are going to um, jump into. And again, our attempt is to have an upward perspective on something that we think is of value to discuss. And of course, every week, there are all kinds of things that show up in the media, current events that Crises in the nation and outside the nation, yeah. Absolutely, that we can pick from. And we're really trying to hear from the Holy Spirit rather than just take what the media is saying. This is the narrative. This is what you need to be focused on right now. But really hear from Holy Spirit. What what does the Lord want us to discuss? And we're not saying for all of y'all, but just for this uh, this episode. So today we are going to focus on the church. And I would say uh, something that you said this week really caught my attention. Let's see if I can say it the way you said it. You, you said that the organization, organization of the church is super dysfunctional and very compromised right now. But in contrast, you said that the ecclesia, that means the true church, the body of Christ that exists within and without the four walls of the church, who we are together as the bride of Christ, is extremely healthy right now and probably the healthiest it's ever been, we've ever been, which was really surprising to me. So we're going to get into that some today, but our jumping off point is um, something that did show up in the news this week related to the Southern Baptist Convention. So I'll let you just jump in here and get us up to speed. Yeah, and so as we we talk about this, the the Southern Baptists, they have, you know, it's it's a voluntary self-exposure of hundreds of their pastors having been uh, compromised in in moral ways, and and we'll get into the details of that. We want you to know that this is not a finger-pointing of the Southern Baptists, what we're going to talk about, but it is a, a good opportunity their story and what they're revealing, what they're self-revealing, is um, is allowing for us to speak into a necessary topic. Um, as Elizabeth knows, she's been involved in some of it, but I've been involved in hours and hours and hours of interaction, even in the last few days. And then in the last year, uh, the confrontation, exposure, we're not doing the exposing, but we have victims of uh, ministers, whatever, whether you call them, prophetic prophets, pastors, whatever. There are victims, and we've lis- listened to literally hours of uh, conversation and, you know, I mean their personal testimony to us of people who have uh, suffered abuse in some way um, from what we call famous people, famous ministers. And so this is a topic we need to talk about. And we don't want to talk about it, but we need to talk about it. And it's... it's um, it's something that um, you've heard us, it's kind of leaked out of our conversation that we've had on some of our programs and different things. And it is, uh, this has just created the perfect, uh, the perfect time for it. So what I'm going to read to you from is something that came out May 22nd. And it goes under, is written by a man named Russell Moore. Uh, I think he's an author, 
um, a writer, a reporter for Christianity Today that's respected and been there a long time, from what I understand. And it's under the topic, this is the Southern Baptist Apocalypse. And he starts out, the abuse investigation has uncovered more evil than even I imagined. And so I'm going to read some things, you know, three or four minutes of it to just lay out, um, you know, the foundation for what we're going to discuss and reminding you, this is not really a discussion on the Southern Baptist because what we will be revealing is unfortunately a reality across the board in denominations, organizations, big church, big ministry, um, and it's something the Lord has his finger on to deal with right now. So it goes, they were right. I was wrong to call sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention a crisis. Crisis is too small a word. It is an apocalypse. Someone asked me a few weeks ago what I expected from the third party investigation into the handling of sexual abuse by the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee. I said I didn't expect to be surprised at all. How could I be? I lived through years with that entity. I was the one who called for such an investigation in the first place. And yet, as I read the report, I found that I could not swipe the screen to the next page because my hands were shaking with rage. That's because as dark a view as I had of the SBC Executive Committee, the investigation uncovers a reality far more evil and systemic than I imagined it could be. The conclusions of the report are so massive as to almost defy summation. It corroborates and details charges of deception, stonewalling, and intimidation of victims and those calling for reform. It includes written conversations among top executive committee staff and their lawyers that display the sort of inhumanity one could hardly have scripted for villains in a television crime drama. It documents callous cover-ups by some SBC leaders and credible allegations of sexual predatory behavior by some of the leaders themselves, including former SBC President Johnny Hunt, who was one of the only figures in the SBC life who seemed to be respected across all the typical divides. So it goes on uh, about this document, and it goes on to talk about the, the mistreatment by the executive committee of a sexual abuse survivor whose own story of her abuse was altered without her permission to make it seem that her abuse was consensual a consensual affair, resulting, as the report corroborates, in years of living hell for her. And so um, it goes on to say, for years, leaders in the executive committee set a database to prevent sexual predators from quietly moving from church, from one church to another, to a new set of victims, had been thoroughly investigated and found to be legally impossible given church, Baptist church autonomy. My mouth fell open when I read documented proof in the report that these people not only knew how to have a database, they already had one. The executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention already had a database on not only victims, but then those who had been accused or tried or charged with sexual molestation. And it goes on to say, allegations of sexual violence and assault were placed, the report concludes, in a secret file in the SBC Nashville headquarters. It held over 700 cases. Not only was nothing done to stop these predators from continuing their hellish crimes, staff members were reportedly told not to even engage those asking about how to stop their child from being sexually violated by a minister. Rather than a database to protect sexual abuse victims, 
the report reveals that these leaders had a database to protect themselves. Now, just before I go on, I just want to tell you, uh, as you're being horrified with what they would do at the high level of the SBC, I will just tell you, Elizabeth and I are fairly intimately aware of how this operations, how this operates in church, big church circles. And not uh, just this specific denomination. Right. We, we've heard us tell before, we came out of a mega church and the culture they're describing here is exactly what the culture was there um, with uh, many, many severe cases. We, we had 10 signed um, affidavits from women who had been uh, abused, sexually abused in some way by the leadership of this church. And, and yet they were the evil ones. They were the bad ones. So just so you know that. Indeed, the very ones who rebuked me and others for using the word crisis in reference to the Southern Baptist sexual abuse not only knew that there was such a crisis, but were quietly documenting it, even as they told those fighting for reform that such crimes rarely happened among people like us. When I, re when I read the back and forth between some of these presidents, high-ranking staff, and their lawyers, I cannot help but wonder what else this can be called but a criminal conspiracy. And... It goes on, you know, the, the true horror of it. He goes into speaking of, uh, you know, there's, there, there's been this conversation within the Southern Baptist about how two men really saved the denomination from liberalism. And it was former President Paige Patterson and Vice President Paul Pressler and how they, you know, mapped out on a napkin that they were writing together at a lunch, um, how to bring back the Southern Baptist Convention into, a, you know, alignment with who they're supposed to be. And, and so, you know, the narrative moving forward was that the convention was saved from liberalism by the courage of these two men. And then, again, just because this is wide open uh, news, available news, this is not us giving you uh, the, first, uh, the first run on, on, on this. So he tells how Paige Patterson, the president, was fired after mishandling a rape victim's report in an institution. Who's one of those two men. He's one of those two men. And Paul Pressler is in a civil proceeding with allegations of rape of young men. So these were the two ones that were saving the denomination. So this is a, a thorough exposure from an insider. This is a, a Southern Baptist writer, just so you, so you know. And so here's a quote, and it's important. Who cannot now see the rot in a culture that mobilizes to exile churches that call a woman on staff a pastor, or that invite a woman to speak from the pulpit on Mother's Day, but dismisses rape and molestation as, in quote, distractions, and efforts to address them as violations of cherished church autonomy. In sectors of today's SBC, women wearing leggings is a social media crisis, dealing with rape in the church is a distraction. So just make sure you're understanding. They're like, okay, we're a denomination, and we're going to make sure that there's no woman that's called a pastor, and that church cannot exist there. And meanwhile, what you're allowing to go untreated and undealt with is this other. Um, so women can't be pastors, but if if they say they've been raped by a church leader, that's that just like that's a distraction. You're, you're distracting us from the mission. call, our mission as as Christians. And again, these things we're telling you about are common across the board. And if you're in mega church and in and what's a common dysfunction, and we're not saying all mega churches, but it's a high percentage. It's a high percentage because there is, there is a way it goes into you know, protecting your own assets in every way possible. And, and whoever 
uh, is exposing anything within the ministry is now the enemy themselves. <clears throat> so he goes on another paragraph, and we're almost done. And yet the very good Southern Baptist impulse for missions for cooperation is often, often weaponized in the same way that, quote, grace or, quote, forgiveness has been in countless contexts to blame survivors for their own abuse. So if you understand, there's a championing of, we got to have grace, we got to have forgiveness, but it's always applied to the predators. The report itself documents how arguments were used that, quote, professional victims and those who stand by them would be a tool of the devil to distract from mission. So internally, from the various high levels of the Southern Baptist Convention and even Southern Baptist large churches, if we broke it down, because the report, the Guidestone Solutions report is 288 pages. And, and so there, there is a lot. But that <clears throat> we cannot allow the devil to distract us from our mission of saving souls when with these accusations of women. Um, and so that's been a, a sick thing that's been advanced there. So this is the last uh, couple of sentences. The author says, when my wife and I walked out of the last SBC executive committee meeting, in other words, they're part of it, they were, we would ever attend, she looked at me and said, I love you, I'm with you to the end, and you can do what you want, but if you're still a Southern Baptist by summer, you'll be in an interfaith marriage. You got that. She's not leaving the marriage. She's just saying we'll be interfaith. I'm going to be somewhere else. And he goes, this is not a woman given to ultimatums. In fact, that was the first one I had ever heard from her, but she had seen and heard too much. And so had I. So <clears throat> it's quite an explosive and revealing report. Very serious. It's why, you know, he's calling it not just a crisis, but an apocalypse. And I think for our purposes, what we know about way beyond the Southern Baptist, why this is why this is not a finger pointing on them. It's just, it's, if the largest denomination in the nation is under this kind of uh, exposure, because this, this, what I just read is from May 22. If they're under this kind of exposure, then you can be sure this is something the Lord is doing uh, across the board. And that's something that you've been talking about for several years now, that we are in a time of great exposure where the Lord is shining the light into places in the church, in every area of culture, to expose the enemy's agenda and to bring justice. And, you know, we say this, justice isn't getting revenge. Justice is making things right. The word justice is connected to the word righteousness and getting things back into right standing. So for a victim, that's exposure, that's, that's validation. But for the abuser, you know, none of us started off with God saying, I think I'm going to, going to um, create a son or a daughter who's going to just live in the earth and become an abuser. That was never his purpose or his intention for any of us. So when he looks at the sons and daughters of his that either claim to be his or not, but they in directly or indirectly partner with evil and they become an abuser, then justice for them looks like consequence. It looks like correction. It looks like exposure. It looks like I love you too much to let you get away with this. And um, I don't know why the Lord is like this, but oftentimes seems like all the time he lets things play out 
much longer than we would want them to. We'd love for him to intervene immediately and like stop something or have the consequence be so quick that it's just obvious to everyone that that was wrong. For some reason, part of his way of teaching us has to do with timing. And so all of that to say, I know that um, you had a vision that you refer back to often um, and I'll let you share it. Well, yeah, I saw, you know, it was his vision and for whatever reason, it was the left hand of the Lord. There was the seven mountains, you know, the seven mountains, for those of you who don't know the terminology, seven primary spheres of society, media, education, government, economy, family, arts, entertainment, the mountain of religion, where we speak of the church being. And the Lord, you know, his hand was just removing and it was all across just the tops of the mountain being wiped off. And I knew what I was seeing, but I said, okay, Lord, what are you saying? He said, he said, I'm removing the mafia from the seven mountains. And he said, I see you coming. There's not many of you. This was a few years ago. He says, you're like Gideon's 300. And I see that you're being blocked by the mafia that's been the gatekeeper at the top of these mountains. By you being blocked means my kingdom people, those who really care for me, my heart, my ways. And he said, you know, part of it was, I could have done this long time ago. He says, but you were embracing the majority of the church, maybe still could be still majority of the church, embracing a narrative of, no, we're just waiting for Jesus to come rapture us and rescue us. And so we're not living in his original assignment for us to be salt and light in society. And he said, I could have removed, I could have done this long time ago, but with you just, uh, you know, the, the terminology I use, you're just going to sit in church and say, I'll fly away, oh glory. He's like, they would have become seven times worse mm-hmm. and strengthened. And so that's been great. And I've said it many times, but in my mind, I wasn't thinking that it was all seven mountains and that there is a mafia of the mountain of religion or for more specific, what we're talking about, a mafia of organized churchdom, of denominational uh, denominational ranks. And so this is a clear example of what's taking place where even internally, again, the, the good thing from this we've read on the side is new leaders, again, those old uh, Southern, Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist Convention presidents are out. There's a new group coming in and we don't know their whole story. Only the Lord knows who they are, but they're talking the right thing now. They're apologizing. They're repenting. They're saying we can't do this they're anymore. They're the ones who who hired it, you know, hired the outside party to come in and investigate and write up the 300 page document. Yeah. And they said that's to be applauded. It's to be applauded. And we'll make it specific. Uh, This part of it is that there was a conversation about would they oversee the process with the executive committee? And that's you oversee the process to make sure nothing too explosive comes out. But Mm. the agreement was they would not oversee the pop process. A third party guidepost solutions would would do it the churches provided two million dollars so they paid for a, uh, a study on themselves so again that's why this is not about southern baptist bashing and even though even from within they're like this is southern baptist apocalypse um they're actually closer to being in you know it seems like when you're exposed that you must be weaker than ever but it's actually the best chance at moving forward it's it's the hope for moving forward both for them and for all areas that we're, we're talking about. But none of this behavior we just described was surprising to us. We were involved by, by telling 
over 30 years ago by telling a pastor that he may not sleep with 10 members of his congregation, uh, part of a $24 million lawsuit. Yeah, it got dropped. It was, you know, he was berated by the judge for, uh, for what they call it, frivolous lawsuit. We accompanied, um, you were on a TV program with some of the, uh, you know, standing with the girls who were being brave and just getting their story out. The intimidation is off the charts. You have no idea the intimidation for um, the victims and women. There's intimidation, shame, guilt, because everybody says you should know better than sleeping with a pastor. And it doesn't just happen like that. It's a it's a seduction process. Mm -hmm. It's a trust. You assume this man, this godly man, it this must just be a proper affection. And then when the lines cross, you have just cognitive dissonance. Yeah, I mean, just go into that. I've seen that. I've seen it on both sides now. So I've, I remember when I was younger and we were not in full-time ministry and we were not interacting with other leaders as, as peers. And I remember always feeling just this awe and respect mm -hmm. anytime we were yeah, around yeah. A, a leader. Yeah. You not so much as me, but I just would always feel so intimidated and, you know, just like it felt like the greatest thing in the world if I got to interact with them or attention uh, word, yeah. yeah, attention to word. And I mean, I have a dad who loves me, yeah. who's affirmed me my whole life. I have a husband who gives me attention, I, but I, I can see how easily yeah. if you had an open door where you're single, maybe you're lonely um, whatever the situation, it's almost like they, they call it, um, I forget what they call it, but like when you go to a doctor or you go to a police officer or someone who you deem as an authority over you. Yeah. So spiritual authority is the same way, like a counselor, you go in to see a counselor and you bear your heart and soul and you feel vulnerable and you look up to them like they have answers that you don't have. And it makes you more vulnerable if they are a dysfunctional person. Yeah. Then they can take advantage of that position in your life and in your heart. And so, you know, that should cause us to feel empathy, compassion for women children, even some yeah. men that end up getting drawn into relationships that otherwise they probably wouldn't have said yes to. And some of them, it's, it's just straight up rape. Like they, they have been forced. Yeah. Um, others, it's been a slow manipulation, yeah. a drawing in a grooming process, just like with children that are molested. And um, it's really serious. Going back to what you're saying about the whole mafia thing. Can I go there for yeah. a second? Um, so I think of mafia as like organized crime, right? Well, In there the you truest go. sense. It's yeah. organized crime. So organized... It's interesting he used that word. Like it's like it's criminal. It looks like a, make us look like a criminal enterprise. Go ahead. And so organized um, evil. I think is what God was showing you in that vision yeah. that he took off the tops of the seven mountains. So obviously in government, organized evil is actually organized crime. And it shows up as, you know, criminal behavior in government officials. The church is a little harder to see. And whether it's man 
organized evil or satanic organized evil, it almost doesn't matter. And so I think we have a little of both in the mountain of religion, in, in the church, in the body of Christ. I think we have a little of both. I think there are some leaders that we're indirectly referring to that literally are a part of what could easily be called a mafia. Like they are, they, they're aware of each other. They cover each other. They know exactly what they're doing. They say the opposite um, to the public than what they're actually doing behind closed doors. Then there, I believe that there are just vulnerable, broken men primarily and women that are in positions of leadership in the church um, who maybe they were molested as a child and they never got that brokenness healed within themselves. And so they literally act out and they may not even be aware of, you know, these other people that I'm talking about. It's not like they're a part of some bigger deal. They're just, they're just broken in the more normal sense. I mean, you hate to say it that way. Both are not okay. Right. And both need to be dealt with. And, and I am encouraged by the vision that you had and by hearing things like this, that God really is, um, there's, there's a a time that has converged for this to begin coming out like never before. And you should know, because Elizabeth mentioned just briefly something about child molestation in this report, a whole lot of it is child molestation and the protection of molesters and then moving them on to, if you know, if they have any ministry talent, they got any giftedness or anointing, you just move them on somewhere else and tell them, don't do it again. And you know that that's not what's going to stop. So this was sexual child molestation and allowing an environment where the children are at risk from the very top of not just the presidents, I guess multiple presidents of Southern Baptist Convention, but the executive committee and the way they covered each other's back and their primary concern was always legal. And, and so even the dominant figure is their, their legal counsel through all these years. Yeah. This how to just... protect themselves, how to protect their church, their agenda, their reputation, rather than protect the children. The sheep. And so this is a, a, this is, this is a report just from the year 2000. So they've not gone back. And it's way more than the 700 cases we're, we're talking about. In fact, we're hearing that on social media where this is going out, there is thousands or even 10,000s of this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me. Um, in response to in this. Response, yeah. In response to that. And a lot of it is within the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, but we do know this is widespread. One of the things we also found, Elizabeth, when we were at the church we we're talking about 30 years ago where this was uh, discovered and you know it was a national scandal as well, and it was horrific for us. But if <clears throat> we kind of did an informal if like we talk, we talked about there's these 10 women that um, were number one you find out they're targeted because this is important to know is that it, that's where it's organized crime like is they get those the pastors and leaders and famous Christians who have who have been doing this for a while they develop develop like an evil capacity and capability to recognize we talked, you talked about grooming, but there was like, there's certain things uh, that were just kind of consistent. There is like, it's an attractive uh, young woman who comes uh, not as strong. The family is broken down. 
devastated, something bad, something bad's happened to them. Often they've already been abused in this in this kind of way, and they and the, they can tell by the look, the way the person looks at them, that they are like, like you mentioned. There's an like, I, I can take advantage of this person. Yeah, well, it's like this person thinks I'm the greatest thing ever. It's like you say, what your tendency was to look at spiritual leaders and like, oh wow, and and all that and. Main reason for me, my dad was a, a major spiritual leader. I'd seen behind the curtain probably too much already, yeah. and so. I, I, and I see people do that with you. You know, it's yeah. like, wow, I've been on the other side of that, and and I can see how easily if there was brokenness in you, which praise God advantage. there isn't, yeah. then it could feel really good to have that extra attention, and it it feeds your ego. And if you if if someone in that position already has a sexual perversion, then the spirit, the demons in them that, that have taken advantage of that brokenness are going to be looking for opportunity. It's opportunistic. Yeah. And it's amazing because so many of these, uh, I hate to say this, but even men and ministers that I say, you know, they weren't attractive. Uh, they weren't um, they probably struck out a lot in high school in their relationships and romance. Like this is their time to make up uh, things, and they're gonna they're gonna use this this position to do so. Yeah, it is that it is that sinister. It is that awful. And so, um, but we just you know we just throw that out. We're kind of just exposing, adding some light to it. And we're not gonna belabor uh, all all the matters. Or, uh, but I wanted to t uh, talk about kind of some clear points to extract from this. And, and takeaways, and then we want to end kind of, you know, where this is all going. A more hope, because this is up for discussion. God is cleaning, and that's never a bad thing. You know, it's just like we're going to have the house clean tomorrow, is right? It's not a bad thing. Uh, but you have to stop everything, get everything out of the way, and allow cleaning to take place. You don't want to live every day having a cleaner come in, and, and that's your life. You can't go on with life if that's everything. But it is a necessary pause and stop. And so we have, you know, have some words for, uh, you know, churches, ministers, victims, friends of victims. And we're just going to do it quickly. I'm just going to say some things. Elizabeth, you feel free to awesome. jump in as I'm saying it. <clears throat> I just wrote some things down. Kind of really, I, I feel this Holy Spirit focus. Um, to churches, ministries, ministers, you are in your last days to make amends. To make to repent um, this is being you're being warned on it you see that this is what's going on exposure at a world level exposure governmental level exposure of media exposure 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 and do not think that your thing is going to remain covered it's clear even this report should let you know it's knocking on your door there is an insistence from God. And so this part of it's kind of a prophetic declaration. This is what's on tap. Elizabeth was uh, bringing that up as well. This is part of the justice of God. The justice of God is not just human trafficking being stopped by the deep state. It is, this is some level of equivalent, in some ways a greater violation <coughs> to have pastors and leaders and ministers involved in this. So... <clears throat> Um, and then a word to pastors, ministry leaders, famous Christians. Uh, your giftedness and anointing, there's something important for you to hear. Your giftedness and anointing is not so special 
that God can keep letting you get away with being a predator. You go, predator? What is a predator? A predator is when you use any combination of your fame, your giftedness, your anointing, your wealth for a sexual opportunity. I would also add to that your authority, your position of authority. Yeah. 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 Because especially some churches that that is bandied about a lot. And we, we do have even some of our stories from way back that that's mm -hmm. the, the, the authority card was pulled. It's like you can trust authority. You are called to obey authority and God will take care of me if I'm wrong. But I'm telling you, this is a special thing. And just while we're in that, this thing of if any minister is telling you that there's a special relationship and there's special rules and obviously God's blessing the ministry because you're still growing and souls are getting saved. So obviously he's not having a hard time with this. So you can do it. That's an out and out lie. Um, <clears throat> so this is now we're to also kind of the same, but to fellow ministers, it hurts the cause of Christ more for you to shield predators, because this is now, if you have to know, Elizabeth knows both of us, but me a lot, hours upon hours, multiple cases, multiple situations. And there's some ministers uh, that need to be exposed. They need to re repent, put themselves in a process of restoration, uh, even to just to determine if, if they even have the right to be considered ministers moving forward, where the body of Christ would trust them in this way. And there's so much shielding, so much shielding from ministers and other ministers. What? No, no, no. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt the prophetic. No, this is going to hurt uh, this. This is going to hurt. Listen, we got to be at least brave, as brave as a Southern Baptist convention. Like they're, they didn't stop a report from coming out that just blasts them. Yeah. It absolutely blasts them. And it actually, from our standpoint, we, you know, yay Southern Baptist convention for that. That's why we're not, this is not about us finger pointing them or shaming them or blasting them, despite how uh, you know, horrific. The in some ways, they're leading the way. In some ways, they're leading and leading the way. So don't you be one of those who's like thinking for God, like, no, we need to protect our reputation. This could hurt the cause of Christ. This is whatever hurts the cause of Christ is to cover these type of things, to show no concern and care for the sheep that are in the household of God. So let me get back to it hurts the cause of Christ more for you to shield predators from consequences than the loss of Christian reputation. And I ask a question, why would we want more souls in the kingdom? Because that's what everybody says. You're stopping souls by doing this. Why would we want more souls in the kingdom if the kingdom culture we are bringing in is predatory and unsafe? Proper kingdom culture is never morally unsafe. So anytime you're advancing any sort of culture, it doesn't matter if people are getting saved, healed, delivered, whatever else. If this is now putting the least of these at risk, remember God's heart for the least of these? He didn't say, well, for the masses. It's for the least of these. You did it to the least of these. And so there is a treatment of the least of these that really concerns it. It's not if you can, well, you're doing pretty good with the masses. No, the least of these. And the least of these. Children, women, who have been mistreated already, isolated in different ways, whatever. And almost done, Elizabeth, of course, you jump in. To, to the victims. I mean, Elizabeth, this is where she might, because, you know, we both had interaction. She's really had a lot of interaction with them. Two victims. I tell you the same as the above. It hurts the cause of Christ more for you to shield predators. Because a lot of the shielding of predators takes place because the victims under its guilt, shame, 
but it's also, I can't be responsible for bringing down something that God is using. And it's not even your call or assignment to, quote, bring them down, but to be truthful. And, you know, there is value in exposing a wolf. If there is a wolf loose, loose among the sheep and someone knows it's a wolf, think of it that way instead of the other way. Instead of thinking of tearing down God's, uh, you know, he's got some ministry engine going on. Think of, I need to not allow this wolf in sheep's clothing. And that's what you are, minister. If you are in repeat offenses, it's not, you know, we, there's a whole different processing for a slip up. Say, you know, one time slip up and it quickly uh, confessed. You went to your wife and we're not putting you in the predator. But any, if you've gone three, four, five, six, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is now something you've done repeatedly. Um, you are a predator. I don't care how much anointing you have. I don't care if you lay hands on the sick and they recover. I don't care if thousands getting saved. You are a predator. And you need to be exposed and you need, you need to be taken out of the sheep shed. Whatever gifting you can have, do it as a private individual citizen based on your own name. You know, have Facebook or whatever social media outlet you want, but you cannot function as a trusted pastoral presence. And, and so victims, don't overdo the protecting of a man, a church, or an organization. Uh, and, and we know it's tough. Um, we know it's tough to, to stand up and and but just know boldness breeds boldness that's what we found out Good. when we were in our church situation is like when one came out then two or three came out and then two or three said well if they're not afraid and so eventually it was 10 and then it was really really many more but up to that point it was 10 and they fed off you remember that they kind of fed off the courage of the other ones yeah. well if you'll stand if she'll stand up I will too. Yeah. So this is a snowball effect. This is house cleaning time. Yeah, we need to stop all activities and and, um, and not all in a sense, but it's big enough deal that the Lord is saying, let's draw attention. It's not to a distraction. This. It's a priority. It's a priority. And the last thing, Elizabeth, I know you got add to it as well. I want to say to, uh, well, to two things, to victims, friends, because often the victims, friends are telling back off, don't, and no, support them come around them victims families believe them um so and then finally idolizers i, I called it i speaking to those who idolize your favorite minister or your most famous christian speaker singer whatever <clears throat> don't attack the victims uh yes false accusations like well false accusations happen they do we know we've been watching this thing for decades. It is a tiny, tiny percentage. And so before you go off on social media and destroy whoever says I was molested, especially if they're in conjunction, they tell a, a credible story and they also have and they tell two or three others. Don't just be there bashing them as those who are destroying the kingdom of God or whatever. You're you're just as much a part of the problem. Your idolatry is causing you not to be able to be in a alignment and agreement with the cleansing that God is doing. So we just, this is an important time to face up to these things because we are seeing it. We, so many stories happening right now. There's so much more exposure coming. So be prepared for this and just cooperate with what the Holy Spirit's doing. But Elizabeth, go ahead. So much wisdom in what you've <laughs> shared. And, you know, we, we can't possibly cover this whole subject adequately in one episode. Yeah. 
So I'll just make kind of some closing comments and then then we'd love to pray with you guys. Oh yeah, and I was um, gonna just go in. I don't know if your closing comments were gonna go into, you know, what I was saying right there about just this new season. The Lord's gonna take us beyond this season, but we have to go through this season. I don't know if that's what you're gonna say as well too, but um, I'm not well. sure what you're <clears throat> thinking of. Well, I was the the kite thing. Oh yeah. <clears throat> okay. I'll, you wanna cover that after I make yes. a few comments? Yes. Okay. We'll do. So um these are just kind of just disjointed thoughts, but I made a little list here because sometimes I forget what I'm going to say. And anyway, family dynamic. There is a family dynamic, I think, that can happen in individual families that we see play out also in local church bodies and the church as a whole, the ecclesia. And crisis come up, um, immorality comes up, Things that you have to deal with. And those things can define a family if they're not dealt with. Mm. So these things that, that are coming to light, oftentimes we think, well, we can't let them come to the light because, as you said, they'll just mess up our reputation. You know, especially like, okay, let's say there's prophetic voices that, that are exposed <laughs> for... Um, giving false prophetic words because they look online and they find information and they say it as if it came from the Lord, but it really came from their own research. Some might say, well, oh, we shouldn't expose that because it might, you know, give the whole prophetic movement a black eye and we can't afford for the prophetic voices and people already think that that's weird. So we wouldn't want to mess that up. So keep it hush hush. And I want to tell you that like gets me so furious because it we're we're saying that okay so ultimately everything is about the knowledge of who God is and who we know him to be is who we're called to reflect him as so you're telling me that the god that you know cares more about prophecy than he does people the whole reason he cares about prophecy is because he wants to speak to the people well that he said. loves. Well said, well said, well. And, you know, we could say that across the board with anything. I think that um, people are more important than the church. Uh -oh. yeah. I would say that people are more important than the ecclesia. If God were to make a list of priorities, people would be at the top. His sons and daughters, those he created to know him, to have a relationship with him if they choose it. They are his number one top priority. That's why he has the prophetic. That's why there is a church. That's why there is the ecclesia. In fact, the ecclesia and the organized church neither exist apart from people, individuals who have personal stories, personal yeah. lives, personal opportunities to, to know God and have a relationship with him. And the church... It's, it's like saying that my body is more important than the cells in my body. My body doesn't exist if I don't have cells in it. It is a compilation of all the cells. So the church is a compilation of individual people who matter, who are everything to God. Well, and, not, and I hope you know where you're left off. I just have to throw it in yeah. right here because you're on such an important point there. I was just thinking Jesus is a perfect example. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Like, 
Jesus missed out on an opportunity to tell the world clearly the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. He deferred from championing thou shalt not commit adultery in order to minister to one woman that he knew was being singled out and abused and hypocritically presented because they didn't bring the guy. He knew her whole, he's like, neither do I condemn you. Because like he knew her past, that no woman just chooses to be a prostitute. It's like, this is, this is like, there are some conditioning. There's some violations of men. And that's like, woman, where are your accusers? What did he do? Instead of, yes, this is a good time. Let's go ahead and stone her. We need the world to know about, you know, the standard of the church. And the church stands for no adultery. No, he literally ministers in that situation to the individual because that's what his church is for. It's about ministering to people. It's He's the great shepherd. These are the sheep. This is how he ministers to them. Yes, there's a time. He ends it by saying, go and sin no more. But he prioritizes her as an individual to the machinery of thou shalt not commit adultery. Just, just to cor- you know, corroborate what you're saying there. So back to the idea of a family dynamic, the analogy of a family. As parents, when we had children still in our home, issues would come up. We'd have to sit down, stop everything, talk it through, consider those moments as a teaching opportunity. We're going to learn something here. We're going to grow from it. This is not going to define us as a family. This is not going to define you as a child, as our child, but we're, we're going to deal with it. We are going to deal with it. We're not going to just sweep it under the rug because we're on a schedule and it's time for dinner. You know, we're on a schedule and it's time for us to go to your soccer game or whatever, you know, and as leaders right now in the body of Christ, um, we're not pastors over a local church body, but we kind of have a pastoral type call as an aspect to, to what, what we do. Um, it is very tempting for us to want to ignore this kind of stuff because we are so busy and focused on projects that, that are good kingdom projects that God has given us. There aren't enough hours in the day to get it all done. But when voice after voice comes to us and says, this is what has happened to me from that person who continues to do it to other people and to be in a spotlight and looked at as, you know, they're, they're, they're a leader. They're admired in our stream. Um, We have to, in that moment, say, okay, God, we're like parents. We're, we're, we're moms and dads. And there's, there's not a whole lot of really healthy, we got our own dysfunctions, but I mean, we're not immoral there. There's nothing somebody could pull out on us that would, you know, we haven't already said sorry for. There's nothing, there's no skeletons in our closets. And so we have to stop and set some things down that are good things that God gave us to do to say, no, this is, this is worth the time because this person and these people that this is happening to are worth the time. That's what spiritual moms and dads do. And if you are not interacting with leaders that think like this, I want to challenge you. We all have a responsibility in this culture that we've created in the church, in our family. And the culture is sweep it under the rug and continue to just 
idolize people that should not be idolized. Johnny Enlow should not be idolized. Hey! Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> he yeah. should be honored for the position that he's in. Like, like when you have, um, you know, president of a nation, you can honor the position without honoring, without idolizing the person. And there is a fine line. And what happens when you idolize someone rather than honor the position that they're in, you set up this culture that makes you vulnerable and makes them vulnerable. It's not healthy. And as going back to the family analogy, as our children have become adults, they've learned to continue to honor us, but they're honest with us. And they, they don't respect us so much that they're afraid of us or they're insecure around us. They, they tell us what we need to hear. And sometimes it's, it's something we don't want to hear, but we need to hear it, you know? And, and part of being healthy mom and dad is our part of not creating that culture where we're like, you know, you have to just, I'm, you be a yes man, you know? Well, and what you're saying, part of, you know, the application is, it's like the difference between honoring proper honor and respecting the call of God on someone's life is in idolatry. You know, you're in idolatry when you, you're afraid to actually dig into truth. If, uh, and you know, I'm just thinking quickly of four different friends of some level or another in the last year I've had to confront for immorality and they're, uh, like peers in ministry. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the ones I genuinely, genuinely like, yeah. And I, I like more then. And, and so, and I love the giftings of God on them. And, and I, I was hoping when I first heard the reports, hopefully this is just not true. I don't want it to be true, but you're an idolatry when you're afraid to pursue the truth. Yeah. And so in all four cases, you know, I've done the, we've had to done the research and you're like, this is true. And so all four of them have been strongly and sternly confronted. And, and, um, and so there is, you know, we have so many names at some point, we're just like, we don't know if God's going to just have us do a flush, uh, flush the toilet of names and that will expose, uh, expose us to all kinds of lawsuits and things like that. But we want there to be a general <laughs> shift and change in the body of Christ. Even the point you're making of uh, a cleanup and what mothers and fathers are willing to do, just think of the very practical, I was thinking, you know, and it can be, I don't know if it's too, too mundane or banal or whatever. Diaper changing. Uh, you got a, a poopy diaper. And, you know, you don't just, um, you know, parents, you face this. You're in company. You get your one-year-old and there's a poopy diaper and, and, and everybody can even smell it. And it's like you have a choice of we're just going to pretend like it's not here. This would be embarrassing um uh, to stop and and it was like no you there's no this is what's going on in the body of christ there's right no now around it there's a lot of poopy diapers and we're just like dressing up spraying more and, and, and pretending not they have to be changed okay as uh, you know as mundane application that's good but so, go ahead finish uh your if, if you didn't on that so you know i'm i feel like people that have experienced this or know someone who's been a victim of spiritual sexual abuse, um, sexual abuse by a spiritual leader. Practically, what do they do? 
you know, and, and it is a fine line. You, you say something about like, maybe we might, we're, we're not threatening. We're not saying, we're not telling people we might expose you. We're literally just asking the Lord daily, like, what are we supposed to do or not do? And having honest conversations with victims and with each other and other leaders, what is, what is, we're accountable ultimately to the Lord and what is he requiring of us? We don't want to do more than he's requiring. We don't want to do less than he's requiring. We also want to obey the law and libel and slander is not legal. So there's a point where you can't, you can be accused of libel and slander like we were years ago, but we actually had the evidence. So what it was proven not to be libel and not to be slander. It was just actually telling the truth with evidence to prove it. So I'm not an attorney, but my first thought just from the years of, of being involved in these types of situations is that the best thing for a victim to do is to go to attorney, not to file a lawsuit, but just to get advice, find out, is there anything legal that could be gone after if you felt like the Lord wanted you to? And secondly, I would, I would, um, I don't know the right terminology for this, but I would create, write a signed affidavit. This is a legal document that they would use in a legal proceeding, um, but doesn't have to be used in a legal proceeding. It basically means you are willing to write your story in detail and have it signed, um, meaning if you had to go to a court of law, you would stand by the words that you've written on this paper, that you know firsthand you have experienced these things by these people or this person. And that gives someone like Johnny and I, a leader, um, something to work with, you know, because it's one thing to say, I talked to someone and they said, you did this, but to, it's another thing to say, they gave me a signed legal document, an affidavit explaining in great detail what you did to them and how it all happened. And it has been notarized legally. It, that carries more weight. And then when you have enough of those accumulated on someone, then you start realizing, number one, in an ideal world, you'll you be able to take those to the abuser and they can see in black and white, these are people who are not intimidated by me. They have already put the truth out there. I need to repent. That's, that's the goal. No, and you know, there's maybe in another time we might go into the weeds more. We're hoping to find out, like it would be nice if we could give you what organization or ministry or whatever that is a part, you know, that I've understands. I've been looking for that. Yeah. If, if you know of someone, an organization. But let, me, let me make sure they know. We're okay. talking about someone that a victim could call and get attended by. It's, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. If, if anyone is aware of a Christian organization that does that, like you don't want, you know, it, it, you don't want it to be like all we had back in the day was a magazine, Charisma magazine. We, we tried every other route biblically. We went to the, the, um, the board, the people that they said they were accountable to what they really weren't. And they helped cover it up as part of that mafia mentality. 
if you've exhausted all those resources, then wouldn't it be great if we had in the body of Christ, especially churches, local churches that are not a part of um, like the Southern Baptist Convention, yeah, a, a network, then then if there was an organization that we could go to and say, we want to file a complaint against so-and-so, you know, and, and it could be anonymous or it could be, um, you yeah. know. And you understand it's whoever does stand up and confront these things, just so you understand, because part of what discusses the body of Christ and the sheep is like, why doesn't anybody say something who knows something? You have to understand, even my friends I'm telling you about, one of the first things that gets into the conversation is lawyers. And they're going to talk to their lawyers, and they're not going to talk to you more. They want your friends, but it's all of a sudden, it's just talk to lawyers. And so there's this thing of being under threat immediately. And then there's the fact that if you do signal, if someone does stand up and say, we happen to know that this minister, this famous Christian in the body of Christ has been very immoral and is a predator, all of a sudden, all their, all their, their people who idolize them and don't believe it, they come out and attack. And so Literally, it's why we can't do this, because we now know so many people, so many situations, so many names. We couldn't have any other ministry. And, and then you would have this, it turns into internal fighting in the body of Christ, where you have the, the members that believe in someone like this cannot be true, no matter how many proofs are there. So you have to understand, it is, it's hard for those who are in a position of... Uh, of leadership. They need to do the brave thing, the bold thing anyway, but it's not always clear what to do. That's why part of our conversation is here. We got to develop an understanding within, there's a part of the answer here is not just braver ministers exposing other ministers. It's like a new culture within the body of Christ where, again, you as victim or potential victim, you don't keep covering it up. And, and, and often it's so much better if you, and you, if you find some other ones, you do, you don't make some other minister put at risk his entire ministry that might be doing something kingdom and good by him having to do or he or him or she trying to do the confronting. And, and we, we need courage to snowball, but then we just need the foolishness in general of this, uh, of this on, cause it's crisis level. It's catastrophe. What is being allowed, what's being permitted to take place within the body of Christ in leadership positions. And again, in general, mm -hmm. in general, the bigger the ministry, the more famous the name, the more cover-up, the more mafia-like it operates at the top. So probably where we're, we'll land just to wrap up that part for us personally is at some point we will probably be public about a few that we can no longer publicly endorse. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we're not cheering for them. It means we can't say all the details, but we can say we cannot personally continue to endorse the following Them people and we're in the process of you know working that through with our attorney and what's the best way to handle that so that we are legal and um we're not afraid we just don't want to be doing something that's illegal we're not afraid but it's not we definitely don't embrace the assignment it's as embraceable as assignment as as changing poopy diapers it's like somebody's got to do it and somebody's got to be the adults here and do it and, and, and so that, that is what often happens because that's, uh, you know, that's just another accusation that starts flying is somebody's trying to bring down somebody else's 
um, ministry or whatever. And, and it doesn't mean that that doesn't happen in some, in some uh, situations and cases where even among those who are compromised, they get into competition. And so they'll decide to let out of the bag what their other competition is doing, even though they're doing the same thing. It's just a ton of corruption that needs to be uh, cleaned up. And now we need to go to kind of where this is all going, because it sounds a little, it's messy. It's, it's poopy diaper conversation. And so that is not good. But why, why is this, um, why is this highest importance now? Again, even I brought up the example, we're getting our house clean. We got some guests coming. We want it clean uh, for them. It's for something new. You want something new. You get clean up. We're, we're believing in a, a new era of the kingdom of God on earth. We're believing um, for the establishment of a new wineskin, a new wineskin that has less tolerance for this type of it's beyond dysfunction, immorality, uh, dysfunction, sin. sin, sin, and not in a finger pointing pharisaical way. Th this is very clear. We're not talking about because a pastor was rude to you, a pastor uh, offended you, and, and he didn't treat you uh, the way you thought. There's all kinds of other levels of discussion we can have spiritual about spiritual abuse, yeah. whether it's spiritual abuse or your perception of spiritual abuse. But predators, we're talking about immorality. We're talking about sexual predators. That's like, you know, you can go down the others and have conversations, whether uh, the pastor had a right to tell you this or that and the other, and I felt abused by his words. We're not, we're not down there. That's a whole nother conversation. We're talking really clear black and white matters. There's not any biblical permission for a pastor to step into sexual immorality where he has any interaction with uh, a, a member of the church, a congregant, uh, unless he has married that person. It's his, you know, you, you get the picture. I don't know if I said it full, fully right. So anyway, I mentioned this word, a kite, to Elizabeth early on as we were talking. And so uh, part of what the Lord showed, you know, Elizabeth and I, we pastored a church uh, for about 14 years, and we were seeking the Lord early on as far as, you know, just conceptual model, what do we, what do, we do? And, and we really, we found out we in no way... Uh, hit the 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 ideal of what we're supposed to, but we knew a priority for us, and we believe this is going to be a priority moving forward. And I brought out this thing of of a kite and spoke to our leaders at the time, and and I said, you know, a kite has definition, it has boundaries. If you think of a kite, you know, they have the Structure. the, the structures, the sticks, and uh, what are the thin? Depends where they do. In Peru, we did thin pieces of bamboo there uh, for our, our kites when we were growing up. And, um, and so it's, so it's not structureless. It's not, you know, it's not anarchy. It's not even, you know, Christian anarchy, because that's what becomes the option when you like, you, you get down on the church and structure and all that. It's like, man, let's just meet in church. And why do we want to meet? I mean, let's just meet in homes. And I believe a lot of what God's doing is now is, is meeting in homes, but a lot of in homes, nobody's really in charge. No, nothing's, you know, everything goes. And, and so it's, that's just what we want. We just want it, that and so there has to be some um, some design and structure it's biblical we could go into like extended conversation on it he made apostles prophets evangelists teachers pastors and it's built upon apostles and prophets and again you, the more you talk about it, it starts feeling like <clears throat> heavy structure it's not designed to to do that but what is what is the uniqueness of a kite uniqueness of a kite is it's designed it's designed around how to pick up wind. 
You want it to fly. You want it to be able to soar. So the application for us, as we were considering a church, we want this to be something the Holy Spirit visits and the Holy Spirit feels at home with and the Holy Spirit has room to move. You think of a kite, it, especially when you're getting it up, it'll kind of do this sometime and you just have to keep letting the wind do it, you know, and, and move. And you can make your church so safe from error. You can even make your church so safe. There's never going to be abuse of any kind because we have every I dotted T crossed and you can have the, the equivalent is, you know, imagine a kite that you put iron bars on the side so you make sure it never gets destroyed. And you can build a kite that's so heavy, it's like, yes, it is indestructible. It'll never fly as well. You now have something designed only for protection modality, but not for re receiving the presence. So just enough structure to catch the wind. Just enough structure to catch the wind. So the Lord doesn't want us having to focus forever on cleanup season era. Um, it's like there's a whole new thing coming. There's a visitation of his presence, of his glory. And he, and he wants us, you know, to be okay. Like this is a practical example. Is It's like it's not about, you know, perfect churches. We just want the area. It's like I, mean, I wrote it here somewhere. It's, I said, the problem is sometimes we're more interested in controlling flag wavers and outbursts of emotion than molesters and those that are being predators. You see what I'm saying? Like, so when you have a church that says, no, we're going to be safe. We're going to be so safe that we can't have that, you know, crazy pink haired lady over there waving flags. And that person keeps having outbursts when the Holy Spirit is moving in the meeting. And so those are the things that you have to really make sure don't happen. But meanwhile, this other stuff, like it's emphasizing the, the wrong thing. I think when the Holy Spirit is free to operate, that there's probably like if you if your meetings are always so orderly that nobody ever noticed anything go astray. You might be having, you know, I don't think you're built for the Holy Spirit. You're built for uh a visual, a control measure, and that's what's going to change. So, you know, we don't want this to propel us. This is part of our up for discussion. We're not being propelled into a season where we have, you know, uh, police state church, so nothing bad ever happens in, inside church. We, there's some basic foundation foundational matters that do need to be corrected. There's internal, that's why we can go in the weeds more, internal church policy. You let the pastor do private counseling, but you often find out the ones doing the most dastardly things have, you know, on paper, the most, um, uh, you know, checks and balances. So you're like, yes, we will never be with a, uh, a woman alone. And, and we have accountability and here's our pastor, here's our apostle, or this is our denomination and on paper. They'll have it all right, but they, they're still violating it. And so this is... We see it both ways. It's both I mean, ways. I think it is wisdom to have those yeah. basic rules Especially, in place. Yeah, yeah. We always have, and we did. About to tell that one, about the but women. Yeah. I think, again, it's about being intentional with the culture. So back to the family dynamic, and I know we need to finish up. Yeah. The family dynamic, having you know four daughters growing up, I told each one of them, I didn't want to create an environment of fear, but I continually reminded them when we would go somewhere or drop them off to go to a party or even a church event, I would remind them, especially certain ages, 
it is never okay for someone to touch you where it's uncomfortable for you or where your bathing suit is, you know, whatever. I, I had a way of giving language to that that was appropriate for the ages that they were. And I think that this, this is such a, a pervasive thing in our society today that we need to talk that openly yeah, in churches, yeah. in youth groups, in children's classes at church. It needs to be said over and over and over again. If this is not stated in your church, I'd be concerned. I think parents should be continually reminded just because you're in a church building does not mean that your children are safe. You have to watch them like you do at the playground. We cannot we can't we can't know every single thing about every single person that's here we're doing our best we do background checks of children's workers and all of that but it just needs to be an environment that's easy to talk about i'm going to cross the bridge here and say this too i think our churches need to be an environment where it's easy to talk about if you've had an abortion because there are women and men who've supported abortions that are hurting desperately from years ago making a choice that they've had to live with but never been able to tell that secret and and in our churches it's such a non-spoken thing that they're ashamed to bring it up therefore they can't get healing we have to have an environment in our churches where we talk about the fact that you know you know yes we're honoring the pastor who gets behind the pulpit we're honoring the worship leader but they're not like so you know idolized that no one ever has access to talk to them or you know yeah it, we it, have to change the overall culture and the so topics let me ask you this. in our churches let me ask you this so in in talking like practical things we could do it's like yeah what couldn't happen before seems to be there's something that comes to my mind right now of course this is going to the weeds so i probably should uh share say for another time but for instance it seems like nursery workers in a church number one there's background checks on all of them yes and then number two there's no reason not to have would you would you a camera that they know about you tell them there's a camera yeah. in the nursery and and that everything that happens in here there's going to be video that to prove that's it. ideal at minimum would you say minimum. even in the younger i don't know maybe in all the classrooms of everything these are just practical things we can do to bring transparency absolutely uh, but that, then even beyond that you have youth pastors that that relationally groom vulnerable kids whose parents may not true. even come to the church and so that's why I think, you know, there should be someone assigned in every church that they go periodically to every single group that meets and remind them from children to teenagers to even adult groups. Listen, don't have such an awe and idolization of this leader or the leaders in our church that you would not feel comfortable going to blah, blah, blah. And there should be something in place in every single church, no matter how big or small, that this is our method for filing a complaint. Any good business does that. You know, when you have a spirit of excellence, you make a way for people to easily communicate what they need to, to feel heard and believed. And then on the rare occasion, this was the last thing I was hoping to bring up, on the rare occasion that someone does make a false accusation, then, that's why we can't just quickly jump to conclusions. There has to be a process. And I'd rather 
I'm telling you this as a leader, knowing that people could make false accusations about Johnny and I that would cost us a lot of time and money to try to prove the difference of. But I would rather err on the side of us having to do that than never exposing wolves in sheep's clothing. And just because someone is exposed as that doesn't mean that you can't also love that person and have compassion on them. We did. The very abusers that sued us back in the day from the church that we were part of, we loved them. They were, they were sick, sick, sick. I mean, broken, broken people. But we had a history with them and we, we loved them. We, able to pray with the main leader on his deathbed. Yeah. And, and yet, um, you know, that's, God has that capacity. So it, that means we're made in his image. We can have that capacity too. the capacity to look at someone and say, I am not okay with what you are doing and you need healing and wholeness in this. And you should never be trusted ever again in this lifetime in a position of authority because of your choices up to this point. But you still deserve to be loved. You still deserve to have people yeah. around you who care about you and, and stuff. So, you know, you may end up going to jail, but. The deal is you're gifting the gifts and callings of God without repentance. And so that's what shocks people as well. Well, how does God keep using this person? How come they're doing that and yet they're able to heal oh, somebody? Yeah. yeah. And that's a whole nother conversation. Again, we don't need to go through right now, except to say it's just a reality and that, you know, he gives those, those, those gifts. And you would think, well, if they're really sinning, then God wouldn't allow people still to get saved or to heal and whatever. No, it's, it doesn't happen that way. It's still. And it can be legitimate. You can have a legitimate encounter with God through a person who also is abusive. Yeah. And it's just, it's just the way it is, but you can see it doesn't, you know, um, I don't know if there's anybody out there of, of a leader who is like, what will I do if I come clean and tell on myself and those around me and at my church ministry organization, denomination, whatever is, you know, if you have gifts and callings, that's what's so amazing about the new internet world, social media is you can, and there's no re restriction even from scripture. If you are honest and you confess, there is a place. Yes. You, you, you default from the trust position, the pastoral trust position, of having people in your office, in close, uh, giving that kind of counsel. But again, you can heal people. If you have a healing gift, uh, you can still heal people through praying over social media. And it's not them coming, coming in. The social media allows for, if you have a teaching gift, you have other things. Of course, if you're doing it and covering up your, your past, then that, that is no good. All right. We've, uh, over well, I, where ourselves. I thought you were going to go with that is that let's say you have a pastoral calling on you and you've defaulted on that because you have been immoral yeah. and abusive sexually. It, if you don't end up going to jail, um, which sometimes somebody needs to go to jail because the world needs to be protected from you and there needs to be a consequence. And so minister to people in jail, you know, I mean, or if if that's not the case then there are the seven mountains there are six other areas of culture that you can show up in and have an impact and have purpose in life and be used by god where you're not tempted to hurt other people and and in that you understand we've always our, our our message for a long time now 
has been all seven areas of society are ministry positions. But there is something unique, biblically established, mm -hmm. the trust position yeah. in the household of God, that where the house, where, where the body of Christ gathers, and you're a leader in that context, it is the, account, the accountability from the Lord's standpoint, what he demands, yeah. the higher level uh, of, um, of righteousness, what other word we use besides that, is required and demanded of you. It's a privileged position. It's a privileged position for people to come into you and trust you, to come into your office and tell you everything, uh, you know, sensitive matters and, and, and bring that up to you. It's a privileged position. So start understanding, uh, you know, those of you who are in ministry, that that's a reality. Guard, those who are doing well, sometimes those uh, you are, do, you know, be not weary in well-doing. Those who are doing uh, the right things, the Lord says, stay in that and, you know, be encouraged and strengthened from him in that. So anyway, I can see we could just. Yeah, uh, have that's all hard to of, even know where to wrap that where, up, but where to wrap we that should up. pray. Yeah, um, Elizabeth, why don't you uh, lead us in prayer? I'll decide if I have a follow-up prayer on this. And, and again, it's up for discussion. This is a good thing. Cleansing is good. Uh, you know, he's in Malachi chapter 3. He's going to come as a refiner's fire into his house, and then they'll offer a sacrifice using the terminology of the Old Testament that pleases the Lord. And so we want that we want that upgrade, and we're headed into a new era of the kingdom, manifestation of the kingdom. So we want it to be about all the good things the king has, and we, we're, you know, the side of, uh, of Christianity we come from. We value the prophetic and healing and presence and power in the Holy Spirit. And, and so, you know, rather than saying, well, therefore, we're, we just don't want people exposed who are spirit-filled type people who, who did bad stuff. No, we need to do all this stuff, bring in the things of the Holy Spirit, but bring it in a clean way and in a way that protects uh, the sheep, particularly from predatorial behavior, sexually predatorial behavior. So, Elizabeth... Father, we, um, we just look into your eyes right now and we just see nothing but love and mm -hmm. you, you love us and you see our brokenness and you see where we're needing to grow as your bride and you are determined to raise us up into full maturity, a, a bride that Jesus is worthy of. And you're not giving up on us, so we won't give up on us. And we want to look with hopeful eyes, your hopeful eyes, at your beautiful church, mm. your ecclesia. Mm. That is um, that is within and without the organized church. And we say yes to your cleaning house. You do all things well, and your timing is always perfect. And there are so many people that we know of that are hurting. They've experienced so much um, abuse and, and specifically those that have experienced sexual abuse through leaders that they trusted. We pray for their hearts right now. We ask that you would give us a heart for them. We ask that you would also give us your heart for those who have been captured by the enemy, leaders who are um, are being a pawn they're being used hurt people to hurt other people 
And we ask God that you would teach us how to address these situations, how to handle um, things that come into the light in a way that is um, moving us forward and, and not leaving anyone behind, not leaving the, the victims behind and not leaving the broken um, people who've been used by the enemy behind. You in your justice know how to deal with all the different aspects of these things. And we just want to tap into your wisdom and your heart for all of these matters. Teach us. We're open, God. And just collectively, we repent for the immorality that is in your bride, that's in us. And we repent for the idolatry that we have created in our, in our cultures of our churches. And we repent for the um, tolerance that we have had for sin in our midst. And we repent for the lack of grace and love that makes it safe for people to confess when they're struggling with something or when they're tempted or when they've fallen into sin. And we repent for these things, God, and we exchange them for your kingdom way, your better way of doing church, your better way of, of that, that kite, that structure that is just enough to catch the wind of your Holy Spirit and for it to be an experience for everyone who walks in the doors, whether they're the doors of our homes, the doors of our hearts when there's just two or three of us meeting together, or the doors of these massive gathering places um, that followers of Jesus come into. God, we ask that as you clean, that you would um, do what you said you would do, that you would allow the wheat and the tares to grow up together and that you would not pull out the tares prematurely because it would damage the wheat. And so we trust your timing. Mm. We thank you for the revival, the harvest that is that is soon, that mm -hmm. is coming in people in droves mm -hmm. into your house. They're looking for safety yeah. in the ecclesia, safety in the church. The and house. may they find it, God. May, may we so cooperate with you in this timing of exposure and cleaning. May we so cooperate with you from every church network every denomination, Catholics, Protestants, all of us, may we so cooperate with you that they, that they, when, when this harvest comes in, we are ready. And it truly is a house that is, um, that is whole and safe and full of your heart and your love. And God, we pray for the children that have been abused mm, yes. and that are being abused right now. We pray for the children who've grown up to become adults who experienced abuse, sexual abuse at the hands of, of people that claim to represent you. Mm. And God, we know that you can heal those places that were wounded by um, very broken people. We ask God that you would empower some who have never been able to forgive, empower them, give them a grace to forgive today, God, so that it, it holds no power over them anymore. And God, those that have been victims that need courage to speak out and to just take the next step of just asking you, is there something I should do about this? 
Let them hear clearly from you. Give them courage to follow through and obey what you tell them to do, God. And to those leaders that receive victims, show us what to do, God. Show us how to respond in a way that will produce the fruit of righteousness in your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We love you and we um, look forward to our next episode. Right on.